So we thought what we would do today is just have a little fun and talk to you uh, about Triumph, uh, what it's been like for 35 years, and maybe how we got here. You know, I know there's lots of new people in the room, uh, and you may not, this may not be your first time, but you're, but you're new to Triumph. You don't fully understand our history, how we got here. You know, we're celebrating 35 years, and you're celebrating like 35 days. We, I mean, I get that. Um, but uh, Bishop and, and Pastor Renee are the founding pastors of Triumph Church, and it was their heart and their vision that is why we're sitting here today. And, um, and so I thought we would just talk a little while, and I think most everyone in the room knows that there's uh, a transition coming up, and, and we're moving some pieces around within the vision of Triumph, and we'll talk about that a little bit too. Um, but you know, um, I was thinking as we were preparing what, what 35 years means, uh, it is our family, our, our, our core conviction, and, and this, this started with, with my parents, but it goes to all of us. There is a saying that says, the local church is the hope of the world. Of course, we know that, that Jesus is the hope of the world, but, but the local church is the primary mechanism where the gospel of Jesus Christ is delivered to a region, to a city, to a community, to a neighborhood, to a country. Um, it, it's, it's, the, it's the delivery mechanism that God uses you and he uses me. And if, he can, if, if we can get a, a life-giving church in a neighborhood, it doesn't just mean that people are coming together and gathering once on Sunday. What it means is there, there is life coming to the region. There is the gospel coming. There are people getting saved. There are, there are families getting changed. There are marriages being put back together. There are miracles happening. And, and that happens through the local church. How do local missions happen? Often through the, the foundation of the local church. How do, how do missions around the world? I mean, you can go and preach all the gospel you want to. But even Paul, what did he do when he reached the world? He planted churches. Because he knew when we can plant a church, a group of people that are working together for the kingdom of God, big things can happen, right? And so it's, it's on this foundation, this, this premise, that Triumph Church was birthed and still exists today. And so when you talk about what are we, what are we doing, when you look at our missions programs and when you look at what we're doing around the country, a huge portion of it is wherever we, wherever we want to make a mark in the world, wherever God is wanting us to send our resources, we're looking for local churches to start them or to partner with them. When, when we, um, you know, you, you think about the, the hurricanes that we've gone, to, gone through, Harvey most recently, and, and, and even for the, those that are going through Florence right now, um, you know, what we did for the most part was partner with churches because churches make a huge difference. You know, and I was, I, I was uh, praying this morning and getting ready to come to church, and I'm not even sure if you guys are aware of this today, but we're a part of a group. One of the groups that we're a part of is called uh, ARC, or Association of Related Churches. And they're a church planting group. And you know, this is a celebration today. As we're celebrating 35 years, this morning there are 21 brand new church plants being birthed uh, around the country today. It's their first service. And, and that's what we get to be a part of. That's amazing. Really amazing. It, it is. And so I thought, uh, you know, before we get too deep in here, I thought maybe you, you might want to comment on that, uh, uh, Bishop, just a little bit about, about your heart behind the local mm -hmm. church and why, you know, we, we could have done a lot of things. We could have been missionaries. We could have been evangelists. We could have been home builders. We could have been mm -hmm. car salesmen. But this is what God, God called us to. And I believe it's the greatest calling 
a, a couple could commit their lives to. To go to a city or a region and uh, commit your life to building a church and raising up the body of Christ is the greatest calling you could possibly have. Um, I'd rather be a pastor than a president or a prime minister or some other famous and successful person because it's a privilege to be a shepherd of God's people and to lead a house of God. It's been our pleasure to do that for some 35 years now, um, and what a journey it has been. You know, Renee and I didn't know each other when we were kids. Uh, she was in Mississippi, and I was here. When we, got uh, we were kids when we got married. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but we both were dreaming of being pastors and building churches when we didn't even know each other. And so when we met in um, 1973, I believe it was, was it, no, it was 75, excuse me, 1975, we got married in 76, um, it was childhood dreams that merged into one. Destinies that were separate became one. And uh, Triumph Church is, is a result of that. And I got to tell you that God's done more in 35 years than I had enough faith to believe him for. Um, you know, I, I dreamed of what I thought was a big dream, <laughs> and it turned out to be not anything as big as what God had planned. And so uh, you put your faith out there, and you give it your best, and God will have wonderful surprises for you, and he'll do even more than, uh, than you believed him for. And so thank God for all the thousands and thousands of people we've had an opportunity to know and lead in the last 35 years. It's been such a, a remarkable journey. Uh, to raise my family in this church um, and to be related to so many great people has been more than wonderful. Uh, we made up our mind many years ago that we were going to build a church that we enjoyed going to because we were going to have to go to it. <laughs> and our kids were going to have to go to it. And so um, we've been going here for 35 years now and we've enjoyed it. It's great <laughs> and it's still going. And our kids are very much a part of the ministry and other spiritual sons and daughters. It's been really, really grand. It has. And, um, you know, our, uh, for my sisters and I, this church has been our whole life. When you, when you look back over the milestones of your life, they all involved you. Um, you know, and, and Lindsay will talk in a minute about, you know, our, our life together and that, how that merging took place. And, and it all happened around the church. Uh, you know, even when we met, and you've, you've probably heard me tell the story of, of the moment we met, and we were in the Western Oaks Galleria at a conference for pastor's kids, and that's, that's where we met, and the heavens opened, and she came down the escalator, and <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's at least 80% true, and, um, <laughs> and, and uh, but, but all, all of our life has been built uh, around the local church. Most every major decision we've made God has uh, weaved it in with the life of this church. So when, when we're celebrating 35 years, this is the dream. This is our family dream. And you are more than we ever dreamed of. And you've got to know that. And I, and I want to encourage you, you know, we're, we started last week a series uh, called Mastermind. We're talking about that if we can change our thoughts, we can change our world. And I just, as you kind of hear a little bit from us today, and I know we're not preaching on Mastermind necessarily today. We'll pick that up next week. But I want to encourage you to allow... Um, the dream that we're living, that God put in our hearts, you know, and, and you know, Dad tells the story about how when he was four years old, God told him he was going to pastor a church in this region. Uh, it, you, God put it in his heart at four years old, sitting, sitting in a church. Uh, and as God has done this for us, 
you know, we don't, we don't come, and uh, we come from uh, good families and uh, amazing grandparents, but we weren't, um, I, I don't want to belittle our family. We have a great, amazing family. We weren't, like, extremely rich and wealthy and just have all the money in the world and all of the um, advantages in life and all of the influences. Uh, you know, we were just people that loved God and served God and came from families that love and serve God, and yet you look at what's happened uh, over the course of our life. And, and I don't want to belittle where we came from, and yet at the same time I want to encourage you that wherever you are, what God puts in your heart, if you'll, if you'll change the way you think, He can change your life, He can change your world, He can do and help you accomplish all of your great dreams. But we don't, uh, we don't really like change. We don't like change. And I've been studying and reading a lot this week, and I read, I read something that I wanted to read to you uh, that really just kind of struck a chord with me. And it said, the secret of change is to focus all of your energy not on fighting the old, but on building the new. What happens with, when change comes is we get so busy, busy trying to fight to keep it like it was right. that we exhaust ourselves. Right. Where if we would change our focus to building something new, building something new is encouraging. Building something new is, is life. Mm -hmm. get, building something new is creative. Uh, and and it's, it's opportunity. It has a freshness about it. But we don't like to do that because we don't like change. Some of us are scared of change. Um, but most, of, most humans do not like change at all, so we fight to keep it the same because what we have is good. But I believe it was Jim Collins who said it this way, good is the enemy of great. Yes, it is. And, and you can try to stay good and fight to stay good, but God is wanting to make, do something great in your life. And to do that, it's going to require change. And so even as we talk about uh, transitioning our life, but the truth is, Triumph has always been about this way. It's always been about continually changing to, to uh, go after what God has called great. And what was, when, when what was great starts to become good, we're looking for God to do something great again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. are, are you tracking with me? Amen. I don't want to wait for the great to come bad. When it transitions from great to good, let's start dreaming again and let's start going again. And, and I encourage you to do the same in your life. Amen. Amen. And so, uh, you know, uh, we're making a shift, and, and Pastor Lindsay and I are, are, are going to Sugar Land, and we're going to move to that portion of the vision of Triumph, and, and Bishop and Pastor Renee are, are coming uh, to serve uh, both of these campuses, and, and I'm looking forward to, to the future. Mom, why don't you talk just a little bit about kind of your heart and where you are and uh, what you're look, looking forward to? Uh, Let's see. We have till 1.30-ish. <laughs> uh, no, 1.30-ish. Okay, well, you were talking about... Uh, the church, the body of Christ, and local churches. And Pastor Damon was sitting in my, our uh, breakfast room when my father passed away the next day, and he was just going through all the things that, all the churches that had been started. And I honestly had never even sat down and counted and looked at it like that. And he, we realized there were 15 churches started out of Triumph Church. And I either either planted or helped to majorly plant 16 churches out of this church. Mm -hmm. And you should be proud of that and excited about that. And out of a little small living room uh, 35 years ago, that happened. And, um, and so I'm, my heart is really filled with a lot of reminiscing today. But I, I'm like Randon. I don't want to stay too long on the past. I'm ready to go for the future. I'm ready to go for what God has for us that's coming up. Um, you know, we did start this church 
as just kids because you can tell. And, and Pastor Randon said, yeah, I was 13. I, was, I wasn't even legal. But anyway, uh, you know, Pastor Randon a while ago said something about, you know, we've lost a lot of things and changed a lot of things. And we have. We've lost hair. We've lost things have shifted. And, of course, we're just glad we still have it. I mean, the color is different, but uh, we're just so glad. He's looking good, though, right? And, uh, but when we started this church, right off. It's funny how day. girls can talk about their husbands. If I said that about her. I said you look great, The day baby. would be ruined. But my hair. Her hair hasn't changed. Right, it's we know still exactly blonde and young. About. My hair has not changed. <clears throat> See, because I still have the same products I've always had. I ain't saying nothing. He just got tired of the products. <laughs> anyway, I, I love the fact that we started this church with a vision of multicultural, multigenerational, multiracial, and uh, we have lived it out. It's kind of like, you know, write the vision, make it plain, but wait on it, for it will speak for itself. It will speak. The vision will speak. We're not having to necessarily speak. The vision is speaking for itself. When we started out, our kids, we had them here. Like Randon said, you know, all of our kids were raised here. Everything they, they learned, they learned at Triumph Church. And their heart was molded and, and to the heart of God at Triumph Church. But it was easy for a long time for Pastor Randy and I to speak, even all over the country, we did a whole series on synergizing the generations. Y'all remember that? Some of you do. And that was before we lived it. We are now living it. We have four generations in this house. My mother, his mother, my dad just went on to be with the Lord. But they are here. We're here. Pastor Randon, Lindsay Kara, Ryan, Hannah, and are here and then all six or five of my grandkids are here so we have lived out four generations in this house this is a multi-generational church and the only way we're going to keep it that way is to go to the next level and hear what God is saying right now we can't just deal with the past we've got to have the future and so I'm excited about that we're we are reinventing ourselves every day. We're opening up and saying, God changes, changes. And if we can't do it, we'll find somebody younger that can do some of the things that maybe we can't do. But we can certainly still hear from God. I can promise you that. We can still hear from God. You know, one of the, one of the things I remember is uh, Pastor Randon and I were interviewing a worship pastor. This was years ago, uh, probably eight or nine years ago. We were interviewing a, a worship pastor for Beaumont, and I remember sitting down with him uh, at lunch and his wife, and uh, they said, why are, you so, um, why are you so interested in creating the worship to be so uh, diverse? Why don't you do just everything that's popular right now? And basically, in, in about 
and the easiest way I could say it is basically all the um, Hillsong and, and the Bethel and all of that. Why are you trying to keep, why do you keep asking me, why won't you diversify your worship? Can you diversify your worship? He said, and Brandon said, it is a core conviction of ours. Our parents built a multi-generational, multicultural, multi-socioeconomic uh, congregation for a reason and it was hard and it was not easy and I'm not looking to ruin that we want to expand that we are the real deal multicultural church in southeast Texas and he looked at us and I will never forget it he looked at us and said you know you could have a large uh, a very large church right now if you did it the easy way and what he was saying was, if you only wanted to reach one type of person, you could blow up a huge church right now. And Randon looked at him and said, but that's not what we're called to do. This was the hard road, and we're going to do it th this way because that's what God's called us to do. And I will never forget, my husband, we pulled up to the airport to drop them off, and we closed the doors. And when we closed the doors, Randon looked and said, I couldn't get them out of our car fast enough. And I said, me either. Go, baby, go. And we stepped on the gas. But... Um, we, they have done the hardest road and we have done the hardest road. And just because, uh, I know Ivan Tate once said, he said, just because it's big doesn't mean it's healthy. There can be things that are large that are abscessed and diseased, but sometimes God calls you to the things, the healthy route, the hard route and what they have done and what we have done has been something that we can truly be proud of because we really are. The, one of the only multicultural uh, churches in this area. You know, this is not really the, the point of our talk today, but since we're on it, I just want to celebrate you in that. Because uh, we can talk about being multicultural all we want to, but you're what makes this church multicultural. And uh, many of you, and I know the roads you walked, and I know the conversations you've had with, with your family and your friends and to, to worship here together uh, with, with people that don't always look like us or talk like us or dress like us or believe like us. Uh, uh, man, you're beautiful, and, I, and yeah. I celebrate you. You ought to give yourself a hand. Yeah. Um, you know, I mentioned a moment ago that our – my whole life has been, you know, these churches. Uh, we were, um, when Kara and I were first born, uh, mom and dad, y'all were actually traveling the country, um, pulling the, uh, the the RV behind your car and traveling and preaching. And uh, dad tells a story about, uh, you know, letting me, this was, this was a long, remember this was 36 years ago now, but before I tell you this, but he would be driving the van, and when I fell asleep, he would lay me down. I'm a year old, and he would lay me down on the, you remember when the engine compartment used to be right between the two front seats? And I, I would lay right there, and he talks about driving for mile after mile after mile with me laying there on that engine compartment uh, uh, sleeping. Now, that would never be allowed today. Some of your moms are like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> they, were like, they were not like seat belts and car seats. I don't ever, I, I remember, I, I grew up sitting on my grandparents' lap driving the car down the road, I don't, you know, or, or on the, on top of the center console. Yeah. Uh, but, but, uh, I you still know. do that sometime when they're not around. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> but this, this whole church is, it's been our life and, and man, we just, we just love it so much. We love, you know, you hear the stories about pastor's kids who, you know, went wild. Uh, and, and yet, um, 
how did we not? One, one of the reasons that, that, you know, and I'll speak for myself and my sisters, one of the reasons is because um, we never one day <clears throat> felt a lack of love and support, not, not just from my parents, but from the people, from the church, from you. Um, and when I was growing up, I mean, just, I felt like I had so many people that loved me and so many people that cared about me and so many people that wanted the best for me. I felt like I had the best support system in the world from, from kids camps to, to youth services to, to conferences uh, to whatever it was. I just felt like my whole life I had the best support system and, and that support system is the local church. And, uh, and, and so I, I want to just encourage you, you know, wherever you are with your family and your life, it, you know, that wasn't just because I was a pastor's kid. I look back to people that I grew up with and how so many of them are still serving God, still active in that church. Many of them are in ministry today because, uh, because of that support system. Um, you know, Pastor Mike was with us a few weeks ago, and he talked about the transition of, of passing from uh, blessing to blessing. And, he, and uh, you know, he was talking about uh, Gerald and, and Faith, who lead our youth department here uh, in Beaumont. And just, I, I remember Gerald, uh, you know, growing up in this church. How old were you first started coming? About 14, Gerald? About 14. So over the last eight or nine years or so, he just grew up in this church. And he never strayed left or right because he got connected to a group of people. Now, you know, you, you know, you can bring your kids to church every Sunday. It's not a guarantee, but I, I always say it like this, man. I want to give my kid the best chance I have, yeah. Yeah. the best chance I have. Um, I was, I was really proud, and uh, and I'm gonna, uh, no, I'm not gonna tell that story because I don't want to embarrass my kid right now. Uh, I probably should. She deserves it, but I'm embarrass her. Okay. Chris, I should do it. Okay. All right. Um, uh, I was really proud of my kid a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I, was, I was super proud of her. Um, you know, she's, she's on the freshman volleyball team. She's playing great. She's got lots of friends. She's, she, uh, she's extremely popular, even though she says she's not. She's extremely popular, and everybody loves her. And, but after, they had a tournament one day, and she came home, um, and she said, Dad, tomorrow after the tournament, a lot of the girls are going over to one person's house, and they're going to have a team bonding experience. And she said, Dad, I know it's going to be a lot of fun, but she said, I shouldn't go there because I, because I know what they're, what they're going to be doing and what kind of environment that's going to be, and I don't want to be a part of it. Can you help me get out of it? Mm -hmm. yeah. I was like, mm. <laughs> done. You're not going. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I'll tell you, that wasn't, that wasn't just so much about my parenting or Lindsay's parenting. That was because of the, of the, when, when Kennedy is a part of a good environment, she knows what a good environment is like. She also can recognize a bad environment and say, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of that. And, and so um, uh, let, let's keep the conversation moving. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to derail there. Uh, are, you, are you crying? Are you okay? Okay. <laughs> I'm just so proud of my baby. Uh, actually, can I tell one quick yes, funny story? Just one, and then I'll stop, and then you can talk, Bishop, because I know you got lots okay. to say. Okay. So um, one of our very first big events at Triumph Beaumont with us being pastors, um, we were newly campus pastors here. So it was like a year or two in when we decided we're going to have the biggest Easter egg hunt ever of all time. It's going to be the biggest, baddest Easter egg hunt ever. 
and uh, well, we were on a budget, and so, uh, and as usual, and so those pre-filled eggs, they were like double the price than if we just stuffed them ourselves. So I said, we're going to stuff 20,000 eggs. <laughs> How and, many of you stuffed Easter eggs with us? And, and we, yes. this, we had Wednesday night services, <laughs> and so I did not tell my husband this, but I lined up all these ladies in the back rows of the Wednesday night service, and they were listening to him preach, but they were stuffing eggs. And, uh, <laughs> and so um, I'll never forget it. Uh, we had free food for the community and all this, and all of a sudden... We were hosting it down at Rogers And Park. it was during Easter, so we were going to get people. It was, it was great. It was set up to be big win. We were going to have everybody hunt Easter eggs, and then they were going to come to church on Easter Sunday, and it was going to be amazing. It was my best idea I've mm-hmm. ever had in my life. And so I'm pumped, right? <laughs> and this freak of nature sleet happened on the Saturday before Easter, and I didn't believe it. I said, nope, nope, it's going to stop, and we're going to hunt Easter eggs. And I hid 20,000 Easter eggs out at Rogers Park, and um, I bundled Kennedy up in, like, one of those parkas, you know, where you can't put your arms down because it was very, very cold. And um, she was only, like, four. And I sent her out to hunt Easter eggs, and Brandon looked at me. He grabbed me from my shoulder and said, no one's coming to this. It is sleeting. And I said, it's not sleeting. That's some drizzle. And he goes, look at that table. There was ice bouncing off of the tables. And Brother Charles says, I'm wrapping these links up. I'm going to see y'all later. And I said, just hunt for eggs, Kennedy. And here she is out there. She's the only kid. And uh, about that time, Brandon looked at Ronnie and said, Ronnie, get my wife in the car. She's lost her mind. And uh, so I swore I'd never do another Easter egg hunt again, but that's when the next year we had, for five years in a row, we did that for the community. It was a big, big event, but it was one of those funny memories I just had to tell. <laughs> There's lots of funny memories around the Easter egg hunt. Uh, if, I'm sorry that you missed those if you weren't here. Uh, 35,000 eggs, people everywhere. We started doing them over here. It was incredible. But um, someone in the church decided, hey, let's, let's have a, pet, uh, a petting zoo, uh, bring a petting zoo out as well was fantastic. It was a great idea. So we've got inflatables and we've got eggs and we've got a petting zoo. And I'll never forget, I'm standing there one day and there's, I mean, there's like 3,000 people out here. There's people everywhere. It's, this whole property is just packed. Cars all the way down to the to tram road down here. And I hear someone yell, somebody stop that llama. <laughs> <laughs> And I turn around, and the little miniature llama is about this big, and he's just running through the crowd. And the, and the, the petting zoo people are chasing the llama, trying to get the llama. Somebody stop that. I still want a shirt that says, somebody stop that llama. No one will get it, but you'll know. Somebody stop but that llama. The best llama. was is that the, the one year we wanted a petting zoo, we waited. We guess we waited to the last minute to double check and make sure we had the petting zoo. But it's okay because one of our members said, it's okay, Pastor Lindsay. I got us a camel instead. So we had camel rides at our Easter egg hunt one year because we didn't have a petting zoo. Anyways, we had pretty- camel rides in the Nederland church when we first started with no greater love. And the greatest camel rider in the world is sitting right over here, Willie Jackson. He was a wise man, and he still is a wise man. <laughs> we have had some major, major events around this place over the years. Dad, let's shift a little bit. Let's talk about future. Um, yeah, why don't you talk about uh, kind of where you are, and, and uh, we'll... Uh, well, as you can tell when you hear us talk as a family, that raising a family and raising up this church has been parallel and simultaneous. 
and it's all been fun. Um, we have three wonderful children, Randon, Kara, and Lindsay, uh, Randon, Kara, and Hannah, excuse me, and, um, and uh, we love all three of our kids equally, right, as you do yours, and you tend to put your time and your focus and your energy with the child that needs it the most at the time. Can't find a button. It's Jesus on the main Yeah. <laughs> Area code 330. That's heaven, if you didn't know that. <laughs> He's on the main line. <laughs> so whatever, whatever child needs you the most as a parent, that's where you put your time and your attention. At our 25th anniversary, or right at it, the Lord uh, expanded our territory, enlarged our vision, and sent us to the southwest Houston area of Sugarland and Stafford. That was, that was our 25-year mark. And here we are at the 35-year mark and realizing that it's time to make another strategic shift. It's been 10 great years. Renee and I are so grateful that the Lord gave us the opportunity to raise up another church. Uh, and we didn't have to give you up to go do that. That was a wonderful thing about it. And we've had a wonderful experience there. So as it remains, we have three churches in the same way we have three children. And we love all of them the same. And we're focusing our attention on the church like we would a child that needs us the most. And so earlier this summer, Randon and I realized that uh, we needed to make a switch. Their gifting was most needed at the Sugarland Stafford Church, and our gifting was most needed here. For Renee and I, we feel like this is the child that needs our attention the most. And so, uh, thankfully, uh, Rand and Lindsay are in the prime of life. They're going to a wonderful area with unlimited opportunity, and they're going to expand the vision of triumph in that city. And we're going to come back here and be the best pastors we can possibly be, and love you like we've always loved you, and be committed to you uh, for our lives. Um, Randon mentioned that uh, I received a call to ministry when I was just a really small kid worshiping in our hometown in Nederland, a little Pentecostal church in the city of Nederland. And in that moment when God visited me, uh, he called me to be a pastor in this region. And now all of my life, I grew up knowing that someday I would have a church here and I would serve in the capacity I now serve. I really feel like it's a lifelong commission, a lifelong assignment, and it's a mantle of authority that God has on my life and on my family. And I intend to wear that mantle faithfully, with integrity, uh, the rest of my life. Now, I know that the years come and go and I can't do what I'm doing now forever, but I believe that I have a voice in this region and um, that God will use me in, in, in the future on an indefinite basis uh, because this is who I am, this is where I'm from, and this is the centerpiece, the bullseye of my life in ministry. So uh, this fall, we're making the switch. And uh, Rannon and Lindsay are finishing up some things on this side and I'm finishing up some things with Renee on that side. And beginning in January 1, I'll be here with you full-time, and Ren with Renee, of course, and then Randon and Lindsay will be full-time in Sugarland. So uh, there's not a disconnect, but there is a strategic shift. And uh, I expect Pastor Randon and Lindsay to do extremely well. I expect them to continue to build churches and to uh, enlarge the scope of, of this church uh, in the course of their lifetime. 
And I expect these churches to continue to do very, very well as we continue to preach Christ and minister to this generation, harvest this generation, and be a voice to the nation, raising up leaders and uh, planning churches. We're just going to keep doing what we've always done. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. Renee's looking forward to it. As you know, we have our home here. Uh, so we'll be back at the ranch uh, just later on this year and working with the people that we love, doing what we feel like God has called us to and what our life assignment is. So um, some of you I don't know real well because you've come to this church in the last 10 years. I'm looking forward to getting to know you. Um, and also, I know Randon tells a lot of stories about me. I know you've got a lot of those stories. I'm going to try to straighten those stories out for you. <laughs> I'm worried about what some of you folks think of me. But maybe I can correct it, you know. Maybe I can bring it back into a line. But anyway, so um, we're going to be doing transition the rest of this year as we're trying to make this as smooth and healthy and, and correct as we can. But starting January 1st, uh, we should both be on location and be off and going. And I'm looking forward to getting here. We're going to have a good time together. And who knows what God has in store. When God spoke to us um, about going to Sugar Land uh, over 10 years ago now, um, it was a wonderful surprise for me. It was not something I had anticipated nor had planned. It was a wonderful surprise. You know, we serve a God that has wonderful surprises. Sometimes we think about how the devil does things that we weren't expecting. But you know, God does a lot more wonderful things than we, that we weren't expecting. And I just know that God has some wonderful surprises for our churches here in Beaumont and Nederland. And I'm looking forward to walking it out with you. Thank you for releasing Randon and Lindsay. You love them. You embrace them. You followed them faithfully, uh, and I thank you for that. But now, it's time to release them. It's not that they're not going to be a part of us any more than Renee and I haven't been the last 10 years, but we're going to release them to the next phase of their life, the next opportunity God has for them. And I'm asking you to release them in love and bless them uh, and send them off with a sense that every one of you are behind them and uh, ready to see them do their biggest and their greatest for God. And receive Renee and I. Uh, receive us. If you've been with us a long time, or maybe you're, you've been here just a few years, uh, stand strong. Stand strong. And um, see what God is going to do. Give Renee and I a chance. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Okay? God bless you all. I'll just concur with that and, and say, you know, um, I've, Pastor Lindsay and I just feel so loved by all of you, and, we, and we're grateful for that. And, you know, we're kind of in this uh, mixture of emotion things. We're excited about the future, and, and yet um, we feel a shift in relationship uh, as, as we shift our focus. But I, I just believe that um, you're, you're going to love uh, Mom and Dad uh, more than you've loved us. And uh, you're going to have lots of fun and lots of great memories to make in the future. And uh, we'll talk more uh, as we get closer. The, you know, the, kind of the timeline is uh, we'll be making an official shift in January. We've already begun shifting things from, a, from a, uh, I guess you would say, kind of a back-of-house standpoint and how the churches uh, run and the staff. And, and so we're shifting there, and, and uh, Mom and Dad are shifting back this way. And that will continue to happen, of course, over the course of the fall. Um, 
but uh, if officially January 1, we come back from Christmas. Uh, we'll be off to the races in January, and 2019 is going to be a fantastic year, and good things are in store. Um, we're going to, uh, Dad, we're going to slip out here, the three of us, and, and head to Nederland, but y you had requested to share just, you know, a mm -hmm. few minutes of your heart and vision of what Sure. Um, what you see. And so I want to uh, ask all of you just to, to lock in for the next few minutes, but um, open your minds, but more than that, open your spirit. And I believe what God's about to do is he's about, the, the Holy Spirit's about to do a work in your heart and you're going to see things, you're going to see the future, you're, you're going to feel excited about where we're going. And I, I know that it's easy when, when things are changing to get caught up on where you were and what you love, but I, I want you to open your heart to the greatness of what God has in store for Triumph. Can you do that for me in the next few minutes? Mm -hmm. All right. But, uh, I just, ha I, I, have, I have literally got to do this. I feel such a prophetic um, anointing, and if I don't say it, I know that it, it's going to go against what the Lord is saying. The Lord is speaking very clearly, prophetically, to this, these churches to be at the right place at the right time. Uh, Bishop has always taught that. Be mm -hmm. at the right place at the right time. You can be at the right place, but it'd be the wrong timing. Mm -hmm. And you can be at the right timing and be somewhere else where you're not supposed to be. And then you miss that integral time where God wants to open heaven. I'm, I'm brought back to this moment where um, Randon and I were dating. We weren't even engaged. And um, I remember the opening of Beaumont Church. was there, that, that was an Easter. And um, I had to work. Saturday evening back in Alexandria, Louisiana, and I called my boss and I said, sir, I can't make it because I have to go to church on Easter, and I know that, I know that, that you don't understand that and you're not a Christian, but this is the opening of their Beaumont campus, and I have to be here, and he's like, so you're telling me that you'd prefer an opening of a church over your job because you're telling me you're going to quit right now if I, if, I, if I make you come back that you're going to quit, and I said, absolutely. He says, okay, well, then I guess... Uh, that's it. You're done. And I remember quitting my job because I had an urgency and I didn't understand why. And it was a Holy Spirit unctioning that this was important for my destiny. Mm -hmm. And, um, and even though we were youth pastoring later on, and it wouldn't be years down the road till we were campus pastoring here, I felt an urgency in my spirit, and I know it was the Holy Ghost. And that's not me telling you to go out and quit your jobs. But what I am telling you is, is that I lived out what Bishop had always said, be at the right place at the right time, because that was a marked destiny moment. Mm -hmm. Did not know that I would spend the next 10, 11 years campus pastoring with my husband in this location. But I want to encourage you that this is not the time to start looking around at what God has everywhere else. The Holy Spirit is speaking, be at the right place at the right time, because when God decides to open heaven, you don't want to be down the road. Amen. And you don't want to be trying to see, well, is there something better out there? I don't know about this and I don't know about that. You make sure that you are in the right house of God for the right mm -hmm. time because the Holy Spirit wants to do something new. And it's not just for Sugarland; It's for it's this, all of these campuses. He is orchestrating something. And I promise you, you will never go wrong if you wait on the Lord and say, I want to be at the right time, God's timing, God's will, mm -hmm. God's place. So don't look to the right or to the left, Triumph. But keep your eyes focused because I believe that the Lord wants to do something special in this next season. Yes, he does. In, in that same atmosphere that she is talking about, one I know it's one minute before we leave, but um, the week before 
Pastor Rand and called me and said to tell me what had happened to him, Lindsay, and how they felt like God had said after many, many houses closing on them that God was saying, no, it's not you're to find another place in this area, but you're to go to Houston. Well, we had all anticipated possibly this happening in another three to five years or something. We weren't uh, thinking now. But the week before that happened, Pastor Randy and I were in his truck going down the freeway and just kind of out of the, out of the blue, I just said to him in an emphatic way, we have to get Randy and Lindsay over here and we have to go there sooner than later. And we weren't even thinking about it, wasn't in, at, in our mind at that time, but there is a season on us right now that I know that God is doing something big. There's a deep well in Triumph Church. It's a deep well. We didn't, plant, we didn't do it alone. The people of God have dug a deep well in this region for many, many years. And, and if you look anywhere in the Bible at any single situation of transition, you will find out when there is a transition, as we're doing now, there is a huge harvest on the way. And we are expecting that. On both ends, we are expecting that. This is our time now. Yes. Amen. 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 So the three of us, we're going to slip out. You guys can go. Dad, take 10 or 12 minutes, whatever you want here, and uh, cast some vision. We'll be okay. I'll cover you till we get there. Okay. Okay. Uh, right. And hey, listen, after the service, we've got some uh, special stuff out for you in the foyer to hang out. Uh, it's not a birthday party without something sweet, right? So hang out and have some fun. I think there's also a picture booth that you could take. And our staff decided um, that it would be really funny to make blow-up pictures of our faces so you can take pictures with blow-up pictures of our faces. I don't, I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> anyway, all right, y'all welcome, Bishop. Thank you very much. Right before I... Uh, open Triumph Church Needland, which was our first, the Lord spoke to me from the scripture, uh, as he does to all of us. Acts 18, 9 through 10, the Apostle Paul was going from city to city in Asia Minor, planting churches. In some of those cities he would go into and the gospel would be received and a church would be raised up. Other cities he would be arrested, sometimes beaten, and thrown out of the city, literally. They did not receive him, and there was no church there built immediately. He arrived in the city of Corinth. Corinth would ultimately become one of the great thriving Christian centers uh, in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. That's where we get the, the letters, First and Second Corinthians, because Paul would be writing back to the church that he planted there. But when he went to that city, there were no Christians at all, much less a church. And God spoke these words to him. And as I was opening the door and stepping across the threshold to build Triumph Church some 35 years ago, God spoke these same words to my spirit. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack and harm you. For many people in this city belong 
to me. Can you say amen? So it was with that word in my spirit that we opened Triumph Church, that I was to be bold and courageous, that I was to declare God's word that he had given me, and that God had many people in this city. And here we stand some 35 years later, a testament to the reality and the validity of God's word. It takes courage to do something for God. There's plenty of fear and doubt. There's plenty of of concern plenty of anxiety and worry if you give yourself to that. But when you're moving into a period of transition, you have to make up your mind, I'm going to be strong and courageous. I'm speaking to you as a congregation for the next couple of moments about the transition you and I are in. And the word of the Lord is for us to be strong. But this could also apply to your personal life. Maybe you're shifting a gear in your own life. Maybe in your relationship, maybe in your career, maybe your business, I don't know. Is there some area of your life that you feel like it's a transition? It seems that when the church goes through transition, that people also have smaller transition in their own lives. None, not the less important, but the fact is that when you're in a season of transition, a lot of things tend to change. The trick is don't get lost in a transition. Don't lose your faith in God, your confidence in Him. Don't lose your relationships. Don't lose opportunities. Don't get turned around in a season of transition, but be strong and continue to walk with God. Now, as we addressed this transition, the Lord gave me a verse from the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, and I hope that you'll make a note of it. It'll be a strength to you as well. Joshua had just received... Um, his authorization and the mantle that Moses had previously worn. Moses was the leader of God's people that it took the people out of Egyptian bondage and took them to the doorway, the Jordan of River, to the promised land. It was now Joshua's responsibility to lead God's people across the Jordan and become possessors of the promises that God had for them. Now, you can imagine the kind of shoes that Joshua was trying to fill. There was never a man like Moses from that day until this. God said, he was the only man that I've spoken face to face with. He's the only man that heard the voice of God and saw the finger of God right on stone. When he spoke, heaven was moved. And here Joshua, the young man, is about to step into those shoes and must surely be feeling a great deal of anxiety about the weight of his new responsibility. And so the Lord comes to him and says this, study the book of instructions continually. This is first John, Joshua 1, 8 and 9. Study the book of instructions continually. Meditate on it day and night. So you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In these few words, a single verse or two, There's some of the greatest instructions in the entire Bible about how you and I can go to the place that God wants us to be and to be successful in our lives. He simply said this, study the book of instructions, study the Bible, study God's Word. It's a timeless principle. 
It's timeless. Even as thousands of years ago, now it has been since Joshua heard these words, it's still just as true today as it ever have been. If you're in a transition and you're about to embrace a new endeavor or start something you've uh, never done before, remember the important key to your success is study the Bible. Study the Bible. And then he said, meditate on it day and night. So think about it and rehearse it. You know, our minds um, have control buttons on them. They have knobs and levers, and you can program them. And, and your mind is not just a, a free agent that can run here or there. But you have to make up your mind what you're going to think on and what channel you're going to be on. And God said, remember that throughout the day you're thinking on God's Word. Now, one of the things that helps me to do this, it's modern technology that just is a benefit, is version. How many of you already have version app on your phone? Let me see your hand. Wow, just about everybody in the building. So every day, they send me a verse of the day. How many of you getting the verse of the day from version? All over there. You know, it's amazing to me. They tell me that there's over 300 million people on version. That's almost equivalent to the whole entire population of America. Those are 300 plus million people all over the world. And they so every morning they hit me with a verse of the day. And I'm absolutely amazed at how they can send it to 3 million people. They don't know who I am. They don't know anything about my life. But that verse is exactly what I needed for that day. I'm like, how do they do that? How did they know this is the verse I needed today? But by starting out with that verse of the day, it helps to get God's Word in my spirit, and it's a way to start your day off. Now, as it stands now, I have three or four different um, triggers, tech, uh, technical triggers, that send me God's Word on a regular basis. Well, you know, men and women of God hadn't had that privilege just for the last few years, but now we can utilize all this stuff to help us stay plugged in to God's Word. So he said, study it, meditate on it, and then the next word is obey. Study, meditate, and obey. Study, meditate, and obey. And what is the result of that? Then he said, you will prosper and succeed in all you do. What a magnanimous promise from God. Study the Bible, meditate on what it says, and obey what it says, then you will prosper and you'll have good success. Now, I'm pretty sure, Kenny, he didn't say you'd never have a problem. But in the end result of your life, you'll look back and say, I prospered and I was successful. I had challenges. I had problems. I had difficulties. I faced this and I faced that. But when I look back over my life, I've been prosperous and I've been successful. Look at. Then he said, be strong. This is my command. Somebody said to me that the Ten Commandments are not ten suggestions. Ten good ideas or ten recommendations, they're commands. Well, here's another command. Not a recommendation, not a good idea, not a suggestion. Here's a command. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be fearful and discouraged. Be strong. 
So you and I have to make up our minds, I'm going to be strong. I cannot control everything around me. I cannot fix everything that's wrong, and I don't have everything I might need or want at my disposal, but I'm going to be strong. You know, I found that you have to put yourself in a position of strength. I look back at some of the challenges I've faced in my life and some of the hard times I've gone through. Uh, needless to say, they're not as hard as some, but I've had my share. And I realized that usually I was in that position because I was not intentionally in a place of strength. A place of strength. If you're going to be strong, you have to put yourself in a place of strength. Let's illustrate with finances. If you want to be strong financially, you've got to put yourself in a place of strength. If you put yourself in a place of weaknesses, opportunity will come along, financial stress will overwhelm you, and you're not going to do well because you didn't put yourself in a place of strength. To put myself in a place of strength, the first 10% that we make automatically, electronically goes to the house of God. That is 10%. That's the Lord. And I'm putting myself in a place of strength. Then we make sure that our retirements are covered because I'm putting myself in a place of strength. You make sure you've got some cash in the bank and you're not spending everything, but you've got some money set back for emergency. What are you doing? You're putting yourself in a place of strength. You don't go buy the biggest house you can possibly find and, and buy the most expensive car with the highest note you can find because you're putting yourself in a position of strength. And maybe you're making some smart decisions. You know, I could reach for that, and I might could get that house or that car or that vacation, but if I do, it's going to put me in a place of weakness. And God said, be strong. And I can't be strong if I put myself in a place of weakness. Let's talk about our marriages. You know, we can have a good personal culture and a good marriage culture and a good routine of life and build some good healthy things into our marriage that puts us in a place of strength. Or we can be neglectful of each other and we can have bad habits toward one another and, and, and not do things right. And before you know it, your marriage is not in a place of strength, it's in a place of weakness. Let's talk about our walk with God. You know, you can either put yourself in a place of spiritual strength or you can put yourself in a place of spiritual weakness. But if we're going to do what God said, we're going to be strong, then we have to put ourselves in a place of strength. Then he said, be courageous. This generation lives with a lot more fear than mine did. See, I wasn't raised with radical Islamic terrorists blowing people up and destroying things. And I wasn't raised with homegrown terrorists walking into high schools and shooting kids up. I, I wasn't raised with that. I, I, I didn't, I, I wasn't, we grew up, we didn't even lock our sink in the house. Left the keys in the car in the driveway. Never lost anything, never had anything stolen, never had anything broken into. I was just like, the world's a great place. Everybody's honest, everybody's good, no, no problem, right? That's the world I was raised in. So I don't deal with a lot of unconscious fear today. But if you were born after 9-11, you live with a degree of fear that my generation didn't, wasn't raised with, a degree of concern. We cut on cable news 24 hours a day, and it's telling us who shot who, who stabbed who, who robbed who, what got blown up, what, what alligator eats, ate somebody. Every time a shark bites somebody on the leg, it's on my app. 
shark bit him on the leg. It's a big deal. Okay, I'm sorry you got your leg bit. Stay out of the water. <laughs> but the point is, everything is so magnified in your knowledge of all this stuff. Remember that the younger generation deal with more fear than ever before. We lock everything. We've got alarms and we've got guns because it's a dangerous world, and it is. Check your kids in, check your kids out, cameras everywhere. I mean, you got to understand, it's just a different world than I was raised in, different world than I raised my kids in. So when it says be strong and be courageous, it means today we have to make up our mind. I'm not going to live in fear. Yep, I'm going to lock my car. I'm going to turn my alarm on, but I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to trust God and believe God, and I'm not going to succumb to fear, but I'm going to be courageous. And that's true in every area of our lives. Well, I'm over my time, and i got to figure out how to land this plane here real quick. <clears throat> so I choose to be strong. I choose to be courageous. I choose to trust God, believe Him, and do what He says. And I know that His promise is that if I'll be obedient, I'll be successful, I'll be prosperous. I'll look back at my life and say, it was a life worth living. Can you say amen? Everybody say, be strong. Be strong. God bless you so much. I love you very much, and I'll see you in a few weeks. <laughs>